In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, On a cold and wintry weekend in the middle of February, in the year 2000, I was in my glory for a few brief but shining moments on that weekend. I was the man. Uh, Or every year in the middle of February, you see my, my school, my grade school, hosted a basketball tournament. A tournament, a weekend where teams from all over the area uh, would come and play in our gym. And during those years, at least, our school, it wasn't known for its athletic prowess, would be one way to say it. We were just bad at most sports. And uh, basketball in particular, we were not very good. Uh, But there was this one game near the end of the tournament where I'm sure we were fighting just not to get last place, that I I was in the zone. I was in my glory. From the very beginning of the game, I could not be stopped. I was making shots left and right, three pointers, layups, runners, jump shots. Everything was going in. For a few moments, I was the man. Uh, I remember, and, and this is as I remember it as an eighth grader, uh, my coach began to call, call plays for me. He wanted to get the ball in my hands as often as he could. My, my teammates were encouraging me to, to keep on shooting. As, as I would dribble up the court, I could hear these whispers, people whispering my name, my teachers and parents and, and fellow students. Eventually, those, those whispers turned into this loud crescendo of cheers as, as people called out my name as I made shot after shot. For a few moments, uh, I was... The man. I, I actually even remember walking off the court. I don't remember if we won or lost. Uh, but my, my favorite teacher, uh, someone that I respected, a man that I looked up to, uh, he was there waiting for me as, as we walked off the course, uh, the, the court. And I remember he gave me a big high five with a smile on his face and he said, You're the man, Peter. And I was in my glory. You're the man. Uh, I, I would think that those were words that King David could have heard pretty often throughout his life. Uh, In so many ways, David was the man. David had everything going for him for much of his career. He had been blessed by God immensely, overwhelmingly. He had been chosen, anointed, appointed, set apart to be king of of God's holy people, the Israelites. Uh, Everything was going well. You're the man. I can just hear his family saying it as he returned from slaying that giant, killing Goliath. You're the man, David. I can hear the troops shouting with with glory as he returned from battle, having defeated tens of thousands of his enemies one more time. You're the man. His neighbors would marvel as they toured his palace and gazed upon his riches. You really are the man. His friends would nudge him as they shook the hands and kissed the cheeks of each of his six wives In so many ways, David was the man. He was at the height of his glory. There's nothing he didn't have. He had power and palaces and wine and women. The world was at his fingertips. And and it is today in our reading, we heard it earlier uh, from that first reading from 2 Samuel, that a man named Nathan, a prophet, uh, one of the spokesmen for God, shows up on, on David's doorstep and lets him know, David, you are the man. Except this time, he doesn't say those words as a compliment. David, you're the man, he says. See, David has recently fallen far. 
David's world is about to come crashing down. And that's because David, who has been given so much, who had been so blessed and, and received so much of the Lord's favor, who had been handed this amazing power, has decide, had decided to abuse that power. David, the king, decided that he was going to sleep with another man's wife an innocent, helpless woman named Bathsheba. And, and after the two of them find out that she is pregnant as a result of their tryst together, David decides to, to cover this all up and, and hide his problem by killing Bathsheba's husband. A, a holy, upright, righteous man named Uriah is murdered to cover up David's sin. And, and just when it seems like everything's going to be hidden, like he's brushed everything underneath the rug, like no one's going to find out. It's just his little secret. It is at that moment that Nathan comes knocking on David's door. And, and we heard the story that Nathan tells David today. It was a, a parable, a made-up story uh, told in order to get a point across. And it, it was a story about a man who had the world and yet stole from someone who had nothing. It was the story of a pride-filled, greedy, self-centered man. And, and King David, after he hears this story from Nathan, he gets angry and he pronounces his, his righteous condemnation upon the man in the story. He says that man deserves to die and he most certainly needs to pay back what he's taken at least fourfold. And that's when Nathan looks at David and said, David, you are that man. You are that pride-filled, greedy, self-centered man. David, you are the man whose, whose eyes should have been looking out over your troops in battle as their commander-in-chief. Instead, your eyes were looking at another man's wife. David, you are that man whose hands should have been holding a sword out in the battlefield next to your brothers in arms, and, and instead your hands held your, Uriah's wife, David, you are the man whose mouth should have been giving orders on that field of battle and instead your mouth was giving orders to have a helpless woman brought into your bedroom. David, you are the man, the one whose ears should have been listening to the words and the commands of the Lord and instead your ears were listening to the desires of your own sinful heart. David, you are the man who quite literally had riches falling out of his pockets and you decided to steal a poor man's penny. David, you are that pride-filled, greedy, self-centered man. Now, I don't know what your reaction is <laughs> when you heard our, our whole story today, the, the rise and then the fall of, of King David. I don't know what your gut reaction is to all that. I'll, if I can, I'll, I'll be honest with you and share my reaction. My reaction to hearing that story is to think to myself and to ask of God, who does that? <laughs> you know, who, who would do all that? Who would waste so much that they've been given? Why does David think that, that just because he's received the Lord's favor that he can do whatever he wants with it? Why does David think that, that because he has found some blessing that he can play by his own rules and do things his way? Who does that? And, and then the truth comes to me. <laughs> and, and the truth is, I do. <laughs> the truth is we all do. All of us, in our own ways, have been given so many things from God. Homes, cars, clothes, and we've been so immensely blessed, and, and yet for some reason we, 
We dream of and we long for the things that we do not have. So many of us have families or friends that love us and accept us and welcome us us in gifts from God, and then we go off gossiping about someone else's family. So many of us, like David, have sinned, and then in order to cover that sin up and, and hide it away and pretend like everything's all right, we've, we've lied or connived and compiled our sins one after another as, as we try to make things right. Each of us has a little bit of David in them, and, and God could say, quite rightly, to each and every one of us, as he did to David through Nathan, you are the man. You are are the woman who has sinned against me. Before my my wife and I moved here to Arlington Heights to be with all of you, we had spent, as as many of you know, the the previous two years in Elmhurst at my vicarage congregation where I was doing my pastoral internship. And and there, like here, we lived on church property in in the church parsonage. And uh, the house there, it was a quaint little house, perfect size for the two of us in our first two years of marriage. Um, it was a little rough around the edges, but there was a lot going for it. It was right off the downtown. We could walk to all the bars and restaurants and shops in downtown Elmhurst there. Uh, it was a wonderful little house, but it happened to have a dirty little secret. And that dirty little secret was that down in the basement, uh, out in the far corner, was a room, uh, a closet maybe more, um, and, and this, this closet, this little, this r- little room, it, it had no natural light to it. It was completely dark, no windows uh, to shine light in, no lamp uh, sitting in the corner, no light bulb hanging from the ceiling. Uh, there was the complete absence of, of any sort of light there in that little cellar room. Now, what we learned was that there are certain things that can grow in the absence of light, certain things that thrive in the darkness. And one of those things that was growing and festering there in that room was mold. Dark mold, dirty mold, black mold that covered the walls of that cellar room. And because we didn't feel equipped to deal with it, we told the church, but then we just closed the door and locked the latch and prayed that that mold would never come upstairs. And for the most part, over the next two years, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. We just didn't go down there and pretended that it was not there. Uh, But we learned an important lesson, that there are some things that grow best in darkness, and, and mold is one of them. And the other one is sin. Our our sin thrives in darkness. It loves to be there. It grows and it festers in the darkness. And and that's where David was hoping to keep his sin locked away in a room with, with the lock latched and the door closed. He wanted to sweep that sin under the darkness of the rug to pretend like everything was okay. He, he probably felt like in the darkness, locked away, like his sin was manageable, like it was in control, like he could handle it there. But the truth is that our sin grows in the darkness. It loves the darkness. It thrives in the darkness. And, and the only answer to our sin is not to lock it away in the darkness of our hearts, but But the only true answer is to bring that sin to the light, where God's light and love can shine upon that sin, where where God's rays of mercy and grace can, can beat that sin down. The only answer to our sin is to bring it to the light, where it can be dealt with and confessed, as David did, repented of, most importantly, where that sin can be forgiven. That's what God did to David and sending him this prophet, this spokesman named Nathan. That was God's way of taking David's dirty sin, moldy sin, and bringing it to the light. Not to shame him, 
not to beat him down, but, but so that sin could be covered and cleansed so that it would be wiped away in the light of God's love. And, and brothers and sisters, that was true for, for David. David needed that sin to come to the light, but it's true for, for every one of us. It feels much more comfortable to keep our sin locked away in the cellars of our lives, but, but the only true answer, the only true solution is to have it be brought to the light. And, and so that's why, as we did just a few minutes ago, we confess our sins before one another. It, it might be hard, it, it might feel awkward sometimes, but that is one of the ways that we take our sin out of the darkness and let the light of God's love shine upon it so, that's, so that that sin could be put down, killed, and so that we might be raised back up to life. That's why as, as Christians, we cannot be afraid to admit our struggles with temptation to one another. Because we need one another. We need other Nathans in our lives to shine God's love into the dark places of our soul. That's why we can't be afraid to confess our mistakes and our failings and our hurts with one another. So that together as the body of Christ, we can shine that light into one another's lives. So that we can receive those rays of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Uh, I, want, I want to close our time uh, by telling you about uh, one more man. Uh, this, this man really was the man in every sense of the word. Uh, he also happened to be the worst sinner that this world has ever known. The worst idolater, the worst adulterer, the worst gossip, the worst liar, the worst cheat that has ever walked the face of this earth. And you know his name. His name was Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the one who knew no sin. He committed no sin of his own. And yet he became sin, the worst of our sin, the worst of us, so that we might receive the best of him. Jesus, upon his perfect body, bore the weight of our moldy sin so that we could be raised up to life. And it is Jesus, as he hung there on the cross, that God the Father could look down and say to Jesus, you are the man, you are my son, my beloved son, the one who must pay the price for these people's sin. Jesus, you are the man, my son, my only son, that, that will carry the weight of the world upon his shoulder. Jesus, you are the man, my son, my beloved son, who must die for the sins of David and Peter and all of us here today so that my light and my love might raise them up to victory eternal. See, brothers and sisters, it is only because of Jesus that we find hope and love and life everlasting. That was true for, for David, and it, it is so true for us. It is because of Jesus and because of his sacrifice for us, because he took our place and bore our sin, that God can look at everyone here today and say, you are the man, you are the woman, you are the child that I cherish. You are the man that I've forgiven. You are the woman that I've cleansed. You are the one that I adore. It is all because of Jesus who truly was the man, that God can look at everyone here today and say, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.